everybody, this is David, a.k.a. Macintosh. And I'm Diana, a.k.a. Mod. Welcome to another episode of Macintosh and Mod. Haven't seen what? The podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. This week we're continuing our sports movies theme and we tackled Raging Bull. The life of boxer Jake LaMotta as the violence and temper that leads him to the top in the ring destroys his life outside of it. Mm. So? Womp womp. Oh, come on. Womp womp. I knew I was headed for this when I was watching it with you. I think this movie has been a little overhyped. I I don't understand how it's overhyped. It's overhyped. How so? Uh, It's not that good. (laughs) And everybody says it's great. But it's not. Why haven't you seen this movie? Well, it's about sports. Okay, that's that's I, a I'm, lame answer. But I'm, I'm not a big sports person. My family is not a big sports family. Like, sports was on the TV, but, like, we weren't rah-rah go team. You know, like, we just, we just weren't that family. And then, you know, they didn't play this on TV. Obviously. Yeah, this film's relatively violent, but I, yeah. Relatively? I'm probably desensitized. This film's incredibly (laughs) violent and vulgar. Vulgar. They use the F word 114 times. That's just like a normal day for me. (laughs) (laughs) A slow one, perhaps. (laughs) Um, Yeah, they didn't plan on to... There was just no reason for me to catch this growing up. What I will also say is the most violent and sexually problematic moments in this movie mm-hmm. are nearly impossible to edit out of the movie mm-hmm. without ruining the core story. Hmm. Like, I don't think you can take away most of that stuff and not have the story that you've been presented. Whatever. You don't like this movie. You know, I'm not a big fan. Just, just now. I want to know why. All right. The budget. Okay. $18 million. It's a lot. It's box office was $23.4 million. I did not do good at all. Now, we will talk about why that happened, because it's a confluence of issues that brought it to that low of a screening turnout. I mean, it made its money back, so that's good, but it didn't really make any money for the studio. No, but the studio's a big reason why that didn't happen. What'd they do? Well, let's start with the genesis of the story. Oh, God. To talk about this movie... The only way to do it is to kind of blend the writing and directing into one because everything kind of happened all together. Okay. Robert De Niro read Jake LaMotta's biography during the filming of Godfather Part 2. So this is 1974 when he first reads the story. I forget he's in The Godfather. Yeah. Part 2. He's not in one, right? No. He's in two. He's playing young Don Corleone in two. He reads it, Mm -hmm. absolutely falls in love with the story, and falls in love with the character of LaMotta. As a chewy, amazing role to perform. No, that's fair. And he immediately thinks of Scorsese. Yeah. I mean, he's. Of course. Ever since Mean Streets, Scorsese is the guy who got him to the pinnacle. Yeah, that's his bro. It's it's like, I don't know, Brando and Elia Kazan, right? Mm -hmm. It's, It's this duo made in heaven. They just get each other and they get each other's styles. So Scorsese hates sports. (laughs) <laughs> I believe his line was, anything with a ball, forget it. <laughs> I respect this. When he found out that LaMotta was a boxer, he basically said, a boxer? I don't like boxing. Even as a kid, I always thought the boxing was boring. It was something I couldn't, wouldn't grasp. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do Scorsese voice throughout okay. this whole thing. De Niro shows him this on the set of Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore in 1974. Mm-hmm. And Scorsese goes, uh-uh, I'm not interested. And De Niro just keeps kind of pitching him all the Bugging time. Bugging him about it. In the meantime... A gentleman by the name of Mardik Martin inherits this story and starts a screenplay. That's a really unfortunate name. Yeah, I think he's Mardic like... Martin. He might be Scandinavian or something like that. Uh, it sounds it, but that's just horrible. That's just mean. Come on. And Martin realizes the immediate trouble with this book. The trouble is the damn thing has been done a hundred times before. A fighter who has trouble with his brother and his wife and the mob is after him. That's the book. Everybody knows this boxing story. It's the makeup of every boxing story other than Rocky. Which I have not seen. But for every film noir boxing movie, that's the story. Mm -hmm. He's dealing with the mob and he's got a family problem and he's just getting in the ring to fight. So how are we going to do this differently? So Mardik Martin writes this script 
that is basically this sort of 1930s, 40s boxing journalist's version of what's going on in Jake LaMotta's life. And United Artists and Robert De Niro see this script, United Artists being the studio that put this out, and went, no, this is terrible. <laughs> like, this is in no way going to work as a movie. Okay. So who do they bring in? A little guy by the name of Paul Schrader, who we might remember from Taxi Driver. Oh, hey, yeah. Schrader goes full bore. Number one, the big thing he figures out is that LaMotta never mentions his brother in the book. Oh. But Schrader reads up on him and figures out that he has a brother. Oh, okay. He immediately finds the meat to Mm -hmm. hook into for this movie, which is that family relationship between him and his brother. Mm Mm-hmm. Schrader also put a whole bunch of controversial, awful shit in the script, like a scene in which LaMotta is caught masturbating in his jail cell. And instead of the water down his pants, Mm -hmm. he actually puts his penis in the bucket of ice. Schrader wasn't that interested in the story. He just wanted to see what he could get past the studio. (laughs) That's kind of awesome. Like, bad stuff. Like, writer-wise, but also kind of funny. The studio actually really liked what he did with the script. They they just went, we're going to get an X rating if we do this. Like, we're never going to be able to pull it off. That sounds about right. And so, the two uncredited writers who actually wound up scripting most of this movie were Robert De Niro Mm -hmm. and Martin Scorsese. Okay. They took five weeks in St. Martin on an island and heavily rewrote this script. And the biggest things they put into the script were they removed Jake's father completely from the script. They pulled away from any of the mafia mentions. So we just have Como as the one person involved in the mafia. The dude who's setting up the fights. Coach from Cheers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But we, we take away from all of the actual mafia stuff. Yeah. Because it just complicates the story that we're trying to tell. They rewrote the Janeiro fight. They wrote the contender scene at the end of the movie where he's reciting the mm-hmm. the line. And that's actually something that LaMotta used to do. He mm-hmm. would recite the contender scene from on the waterfront to practice before he went out. Yeah. And the biggest thing they put in the movie was the fixing the TV set and then beating his brother up. Mm-hmm. They added that scene, which was maybe the dramatic high point of the movie. It's kind of the turning point for everything that comes after it. Hmm. The problem is, is that De Niro and Scorsese didn't pay to the Writers Guild, so they would not be credited for the writing of this movie. Schrader and Martin get co-credits for the <laughs> screenplay, but De Niro and Scorsese really wrote the bulk of this movie. Hmm. Interesting. Now, that leads us into Scorsese. Okay. He didn't want to take this movie. Wasn't he, like, this was back in his Coke days, right? In 1977, his film New York, New York, which was a musical with Liza Minnelli, completely tanked. During this time, he's also experimenting with cocaine. Yeah. And initially as a form of writer's inspiration, but eventually getting addicted. Mm -hmm. And then one night, he buys a bad batch with some of his friends, Mm -hmm. takes it, and it interacts with his asthma medication. Oh, nice. Now, he has been a lifelong asthmatic. Mm -hmm. He nearly dies that night from internal bleeding because of the interaction with the drugs. And it was a tremendous wake-up call for him. As as it should. He Yeah, he nearly dies. He doesn't know if he wants to make movies anymore. He's not sure if he's going to keep on going. Mm -hmm. And De Niro shows up to the hospital and says, you need to make this movie. And you need to do it with me. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's just it. Scorsese, among many people, credits De Niro for saving his life. life. Yeah. I knew that part. I knew that. I I knew that. I didn't remember if it was his film, but I remember hearing about Robert De Niro basically saved his life by saying, let's just go make this movie. Let's let's go do this. And this is the film that, that comes out of it. Okay. And so this is the movie across all of the other ones where he takes the utmost care and has the utmost precision in what he's doing on screen. Hmm. Like it may not, it may not read that way for everyone, but there does seem this sense of every shot he does, he made for a very specific reason in this movie, whether or not that reads per se, I don't know, but this definitely feels like a personal film knowing that backstory. Yeah, but I don't care. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't, care at all i can understand that like i get it i can see that but it doesn't change that the movie's not very good hmm we'll have to argue about that 
Because oh. I think it's amazing. Okay. <laughs> You're wrong, but okay. The cast. Robert De Niro as Jake LaMotta. I mean, he's great. He's Robert De Niro. He's insane. Um, he's He's wonderful. I think what's interesting about this is in Taxi Driver, he feels like he's really pushing for that role. Not in a bad way, but it feels like he's put he has to put a lot of effort into it. No, he's just it's just so different. It's very manic. It's very mental. In and Taxi this, Driver? Yes. Yeah. And this isn't that. I mean, there is that mental game. It's physical. But it it's 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 expressed very physically. It is uh, with with the punching and all of that. Mm. I th- to me what it is is that Travis felt like something he had to dig into his psyche for. Mm. This character feels like it just fits like a glove. But um ching. <laughs> uh probably a little bit more. I feel like this character the way he physically moves is probably closer to how Robert De Niro is as a person, just pro- just probably a little bit closer. Definitely an extreme, but it's you know because he had to do so much physically. It's probably why I think that because he clearly had to get into a lot of shape. And I know chunky Robert De Niro is actually chunky Robert De Niro, yeah. which I find kind of horrible and hilarious <laughs> at the same time. I mean, this is this is as much his passion project as it is That's Scorsese's. Fair. So they're both. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they both wrote the fucking movie, basically. Mm-hmm. So they're both collaborating to make this thing work. And De Niro's job is to hold the th- hold the thing mm-hmm. together to be the glue of the movie. Yeah, well, he, he does that. I, I, I really loved everything he did in The Ring. Oh, yeah. He did a great job, um, you know, especially taking those beatings. They look very, very, very real. And I know, and I, I know, just based on other things, that I know that some of the punches were real. I know his fight with Joe Pesci. Can't remember the character's name. That's a real. That's some real punching in the face. Well, you won't. You'll. You. It's very easy to remember Joe Pesci's character's name because it's oh, yeah, Joey it's Lamotta. Because I remember when the credit said Joey Joe Pesci, and I laughed. Yeah. Sorry, I forgot about that. That's pretty good. Uh, I knew that was real, but it does take a lot of skill to make a thrown punch look like it's real, and to take a punch and make it look real. Well, when it's not. We'll get into the boxing in a little mm-hmm. bit on how they did all of that. Yeah. But he talked with Jake and Vicky mm-hmm. a lot separately, but tried to get as much true details of those stories. Mm-hmm. And that's while he was practicing his Bronx accent. So he's also working on developing the accent and the character. He also trained in boxing directly with Jake LaMotta and entered as a middleweight fighter. Huh. He went two and one in three fights. And LaMotta said... Take it with whatever you want. But LaMotta said, I truly believe he could have been a contender. If he wanted to, he could go fight middleweight. Yeah. He said he would put him in one of the 20 greatest middleweights of all time. Oh, well. Now, who knows if LaMotta's just blowing smoke up his ass. But it's a nice compliment. Yeah. Nonetheless. I I don't think that guy bullshits people based on his personality. Robert did the work. He did the work. work. So that he gets points for that. And then. And then he wore that stupid fucking nose. I did not like the nose. Huh. I could understand just from a practical effect needing to be able to show like, oh, well, he just had a really bad fight and he got his nose broken. So we need to be able to show that. And then I just get that we got to give him prosthetic nose just for continuity issues. That makes sense to me, especially in 1980. But it's just a little too much. It didn't bother me. I found it a little distracting. Huh. Probably because it gets so extreme when he's chunky at the end. Well, that's fair. The uh, the weight gain. Mm-hmm. They did five weeks of shooting. Everything shut down for four weeks. Every All the crew got paid. And De Niro went to France and Italy on an eating binge. Like literally to get the weight that he wanted to go to. Because they, they offered different suggestions. And as they talked about it and how what the logistics would be, De Niro just went, fuck it. I'm just going to gain the weight. He just said, I'm going to do it. Well, when you're young, you can get away with that a little bit more. So he goes, he binges for four weeks. He went from 145 pounds to 215 pounds. And when he comes back, he is having health problems. They temporarily suspended a day or two in the last few weeks of shooting because Scorsese was actually worried about him. Yeah. So they they had to shut down. That's for, too much weight to gain that fast. It's bad. It's bad. It's but really, really bad. He, it's that thing of it's De Niro. Like I, no, he's going to do it's that in everything stupid. he does. It's just stupid. I get it. Yeah, you shouldn't do it. It's dumb. 
However, that when it's not the director, so <laughs> I, that trip sounds amazing. <laughs> I want to go to Italy and France. And I mean, I've done the eat your way through France tour, sort of. I just ate a lot of ham and cheese sandwiches. <laughs> but, oh, Italy. Right? Yeah. Next up is Joe Pesci as Joey LaMotta. I love Joe Pesci. He's incredible in this movie. Yeah, he really is. If Goodfellas is a caricature that he's playing, uh-huh. and to be fair, a damn fine caricature, uh-huh. like it's really good, there is something so real about his emotions. I love how in every scene, when he's trying to protect Vicky uh-huh. or anybody, how he's he's just reacting and brash, but everything in his eyes tells you, I can't lie to you. You're my brother. Yeah. With this kind of wannabe wise guy attitude and, and different stuff. But he is acting his ass off. And that scene, that last scene where his brother find where Jake finds him in New York. Oh, and he's and tries just trying to, to get him. away. And he's just trying to go home. Mm-hmm. And it's heartbreaking for both of them. Nah, I didn't get that. I did. So much time has passed at that point where it's just like didn't register for me. Joe Pesci was completely unknown at this point. Okay. He had been in a movie called, or like a made-for-TV movie called The Death Collector <laughs> okay. in 1976. He's playing like a young mafia kid who's yeah. doing this stuff. And then he had not had a movie credit in four years. He was running an Italian restaurant at the time. Okay. So nobody knew him, but Scorsese saw this movie, thought, wow, he's actually pretty good, and gave him the chance. Hmm. It's crazy to think at some point that Joe Pesci wasn't a movie star of some sort. Yeah, I mean, he'll always be the guy. Home Alone. <laughs> but he was going to be a Frankie Valley singer, and yeah. then he decided to go into acting, and then this broke him. Mm-hmm. This made him into a star. So when was Goodfellas? What year? 1990. So I was 10 years after this. Yes. And that's that's what he won his Oscar for. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's... Okay, but he is as good in this movie as he is in Goodfellas. I think he's as good, maybe better for me, because there's a groundedness to him in this movie that he he's sort of the airy, dreamy one in Goodfellas. He's sort of this archetype. I really like his character in Goodfellas. I do too. He makes a lot of really good jokes. I this just one really is good. I just it's unpolished. It's, it's raw. Yeah, yeah, and he's his character's supposed to be. I just like his character better in Goodfellas. But he's as good in this as he was in that for sure. So I was I couldn't remember when things were right. I was expecting him to be a lot closer together. Yeah, no. So now I'm going to have to go look at what Joe Pesci did in between that and this. Just to go see what, what were you doing. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Random stuff. Kathy Moriarty as Vicky. What else has she been in? She was in Soap Dish, but also for fans of I Never Saw That, Hey Jen and Micah, she was in both Casper and Foxfire. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because I recognize her, but she's so young here. Yes. Yeah. Okay. No, I totally, I, yeah, I totally get her. She's fine. She's fine the one acting choice that she makes Mm -hmm. this is her film debut she was 20 years old Mm -hmm. the one choice she makes which is so good when he is terrorizing her she does not scream and rage back but instead just freezes and it's so impactful she doesn't respond to the hysteria because she knows the more she responds the worse she's gonna get it yeah well it well it's that but it's also i do nothing i get yelled at i you know i do that like no matter what i do i'm gonna get i'm gonna get hit i'm gonna get yelled at so she's just like i'm not giving you any fuel so i'm not adding to this and i'm not going to engage in your nonsense which is very different and i did i did like that i mean she still puts up with it but i i did like that because usually like like in Goodfellas, it's the screaming back and forth. His first wife, who I don't remember what her name was, who was there for like two seconds. Yeah. She's throwing things at him and screaming back. It would be one thing to be like, well, it's just, it's so frustrating that this character put up with it. It was like, the real life Vicky put up with it for that long. She did. What is hard is that there are so many awful things in this movie mm-hmm. that are real hard to confront. But then you start to realize that shit was true. This movie made Jake LaMotta, like, open his eyes to all the horrible shit Realize he'd done. It, huh? And there is a quote. There, They were quoted as he went to Vicky and was like, was I really that bad? And Vicky said, you were worse. Oh, joy. So it's so telling yeah. in that, like, this is all real. And that's why it can be hard to stomach. But it's like, this is what went down with them. Yeah. 
Hmm. She got found by Joe Pesci. Oh, that's cool. He saw her picture at a disco <laughs> and remembered it and realized, oh, she looks almost exactly like Vicky. Oh, okay. And the guild did not want to give her the role. Oh. They did not want to bring her in. De Niro and Scorsese had to walk in and show the guild 10 pictures of her looking exactly like Vicky. Oh, okay. To sell them. And then... They had a real shaky screen test where she didn't know why she was being filmed at first. And then De Niro fed her some improv lines Mm -hmm. so that she could go up and screen test well. That's funny. But they had to, they really had had to to convince the guild to let her be in the movie. I kind of love that. I, 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 like, yeah, I just, I love the whole, like, let's, let's stack the deck so that they know we have to use this person. Now, Minnie, who could have been better? Jodie Foster really wanted this role. Oh, yeah, I could see that. She wasn't even considered. Because she would have been really young. Exactly. She was too young for this character. She was too young. They even did a photo shoot mm-hmm. of her in the nude um, oh. or scantily clad. She and her parents decided to do this so they could Six, be like, look, she's growing up. She's not that little. Yeah, that she's not that she little She should girl. be allowed to do more adult roles. And uh, those eventually actually got published after the john hinckley issue oh great yeah the dude who tried to assassinate the president that's gonna come back around again foreshadowing in this episode What? then we've got frank vincent as salvi you might also recognize him from the sopranos or yeah goodfellas or casino also the right thing stock italian dude (laughs) He's actually not been in that much stuff, but no, he's, he's instantly he's recognizable. That dude. He's always that dude. He was also unknown at the time and also recommended to audition by Joe Pesci. Okay. Audition, got the part, and thus began a long and storied career in film and television. So Joe Pesci is a kingmaker. Yeah, on of of his own on his own maiden voyage. Right? <laughs> you know, I I do love hearing you know your friends cast their friends it's just kind of like you you repay favors to people who've been good to you also it could just be that thing if he's like look i got a golden ticket here he wants let's just go. random people to be in it yeah. so let's go no yeah i'm cool with all that he's fine he doesn't have a lot going on in the role he's just obviously personally threatening to frank yeah that's it then we have nicholas colasanto as tommy como he looks so big, like physically imposing. Because this is Coach from Cheers, guys. Coach from Cheers. But then I have to remember all the times we saw Coach, he was standing next to Ted Danson, who's a giant. Well, there's that. And then midway through his run on Cheers, he also started getting sick. Yeah. And so he's... he was already getting older, so he'd gotten a little bit thinner. Right. Yeah. And then he got sick. Yeah. And so, you know, he, of course, he sick. passed away. During the filming of Cheers, and that had to... That he was, was a place with Woody thing. Harrelson, which was, you know, great for him. He had been in, like, a lot of boxing movies before this. The big one was hmm. John Huston's movie, Fat City, with Jeff Bridges and Stacey Keach playing boxers. I don't know nothing about that. I know John Huston's a great director, and I know Jeff Bridges and Stacey Keach are awesome actors. So that's kind of one that I'm like, huh, put that on the, the list at some point to just go track down and watch. Yeah. he's He's really good in this kind of miniature but important role and had always been a dramatic actor up until cheers so i like him i like he's he's supernatural he's good i wish he could have gotten a little bit more meat yeah a little but more I, featured i like that he is he is the closest thing we get to mafia yes and he's based off of an actual mobster who did go to jail i i just wish we had gotten a little bit more with him because it's so random his part you could cut and it would make no difference. That's what I kind of hate because he's wasted. He's good, but he's wasted. Hmm. I can see that. Okay. Then we have to get two minor mentions, which is first, Charles Scorsese. Charles Scorsese. As uh, Charlie. Charlie. Mm-hmm. Who I think is talking Italian half the time. Which when I saw him, I was like, wait, that's Martin Scorsese. Oh, this is dad. Yeah, this is dad. He's got the same like style eyebrows. Of course. Marty's are much darker, but... It's yeah. the same same idea. Marty is in the movie at the very end, the stagehand who's talking to Jake. Oh, okay. That's Martin Scorsese. Okay. In the background of that shot. But also 
we get the film debut of one John Turturro. Oh, this is his first one. This is his first movie. Like, you see him, you instantly know that's him. Oh, yeah. He's young, but... His his hair is not as big. (laughs) Not quite. That's really the only thing that's changed. It hasn't Italian froed out quite as much yet. Yeah. This is his first credited movie role. That's hilarious. I know. It's his first IMDb credit. I was that's, like, this is awesome. That's hilarious. I love it. He has no lines. He's just there. And you're He's like, oh, it's the table. Yeah, that's cool. Anyway. All right. The boxing sequences. Okay. Because they were their own thing. They're great. They filmed at Olympic Auditorium in Los Angeles. Okay. Which has just been built for the 1980 Los Angeles okay. Olympics. It's a big deal. That's no, I, I, I had no context for why that was cool. They hung up duvetine all throughout the stadium. Those are blackout curtains typically used as wings in the theater. Exactly. But for this purpose, they were to contain the artificial smoke, which was literally put there as ambiance. Oh. It wasn't to represent cigarette it, smoke or anything. Yeah, it was just there for the visual. Two birds, one stone. Woo! And Scorsese hated every type of boxing filming that had been done up to this point including rocky which is from the view of the spectator you are outside the ring watching the fight okay he wanted the camera to be a third fighter that was dodging the two fighters part of the action and so all of these sequences were intricately choreographed yeah because they didn't have like the same steadicam that we have now no, and, and this de- is ne- definitely no handhelds. And it took so much time to get all that stuff together. Mm-hmm. Not to mention that the cinematographer Michael Chapman um, was at moments hand cranking his camera down and up in okay. order to get the sequences to go in different types of motion or okay. to show different things. Like, you know, when we That's get this, good filmmaking. the slow mo on the back is like 128 cranks. Yeah. And then, you know, when he's coming into the ring mm-hmm. and slowly coming in and then fades in mm-hmm. we see that all the time now in boxing movies like they're getting ready yeah. in slow-mo and then they come into the fight it's and it's, staple. Fast. it's it's staple this is the first time it's been done oh that's awesome and it's insane that's the cool. amount of cinematography and stuff they put into it yeah it's like a ballet they basically made boxing into a ballet because it was well hbo mimics this crap all the time when they air fights yeah because they're doing the same thing. Exactly. They just have better and easier technology. And the black and white, it's interesting how they came to that decision. Mm-hmm. They started by doing just some proof test stuff by filming Pesci and De Niro in the ring using mm-hmm. 8mm. Some cheap film. Yeah. Just, just get something some on testing. camera and kind of see how it's working. And both he and Chapman kept watching going like, something's wrong. And then one of their ADs or something, Michael Powell, was like, well, the boxing gloves would have been a different color in the 40s. It wouldn't have been that color. It would have been red. And Scorsese went, we need to do the whole thing in black and white. Mm-hmm. I got to film blood. I got to film. I got to get details. He was like, if I do it all in black and white, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And so it was a completely practical decision. Well, that's not entirely true. Black and white requires a different color treatment on set. It does. It, it really does. Uh, but the other thing. But, was, I, but, that, but I understand what they're saying. The purpose. It was a practical purpose yes. on his end. It's cheaper. It's easier. Continuity and, and all that stuff. Yeah. And also color film stock at the time was in very short supply. Oh, okay. But black and white film stock, because nobody, nobody was, was making black it. and white films. Yeah. Was in abundance. Sure. So it was cheaper. There was this huge, great incentive of like, let's just do it in black and white. Mm-hmm. And then the amazing choice that comes out of that is that this movie looks like it's straight from the 1940s. It really does. No, it does oh, not look like it's from the 1940s. The 50s, for sure. It looks like Maybe. a 50s noir. Mm. Really, go look at some of the Maybe. 40s and 50s noir stuff, and you will see no. same angles, same film style. Oh, yes, no. you will. It does. It does look older by the virtue of being black and white, but it does not look like a 40s film. No, it does. It does not. You just haven't seen enough film noir. Perhaps, but no. <laughs> You're still wrong. Okay. The editing, the cinematography, and the sound. Okay, well, the editing's garbage. Oh. Because the way they chose to tell the story is out of sequence. No, it's not. A lot of those fights, they kept cutting things back and forth. I could not follow a timeline between the very beginning where we get, you know, old Jake uh, I, I just I was like, are we cutting back and forth? What's going on? Where's his wife? Oh, I guess his wife is gone because now he's marrying Vicky. Like all of that is just 
muddy as fuck. The only thing that was helpful, because I'm fairly certain when they show those cards for the fights, the dates, you go back and forth. Because they, they're talking about the Gerino fight, and then they go to an earlier fight. No, they don't. Okay, well, it's confusing as fuck. I didn't feel that way. No, and also, horrible for me, I wouldn't care. To me, what I love about this movie mm-hmm. is that it doesn't have to follow a normal through line. It's very of-the-moment impressionistic. That's actually what I like about it. Well, it's garbage. Because it's not telling me a story. Basically, like, this guy gets pummeled, and he wins. This guy gets pummeled, and then he wins. We go to this fight, then we leave it, and then we go back to another fight. The Robinson fight. Did he fight Robinson more than once? Yes, he fought him six times. Okay. Well, they don't explain that at all. They do on the titles. Barely. But that's another thing. The titles get super confusing. Like, this movie is garbage in terms of editing. It is, because I don't have any idea what's going on. It's really funny, because this is considered, like, film school 101 studies of how to edit a movie. That explains a lot of crappy editing. Oh, man. Bad. This is the first chance Scorsese got to work with Thelma Schoonmaker, Mm -hmm. who becomes the editor for all of his future films, including Goodfellas and Shutter Island, The Aviator, The Departed, so on and so forth, and has won multiple Academy Awards for different work she's done. Great. Because some of those other movies are great. This one was not. And also, this is pretty cool because the reason Schoonmaker wasn't allowed to work on films with Scorsese was because the Editor's Guild was men only. Well, that's garbage, too. Yeah, so so this is a... (laughs) This is sort of a breakthrough in that's that great. for her and, and their relationship. They were film studies buddies. So yeah. they, they studied together and learned that stuff. That's cool. The cinematography from uh, Michael Chapman, I think it's gorgeous. Is, is lovely. That opening shot's beautiful. Oh my God. Just that alone. I could be like, okay, I'll just watch this on a loop. It's, no, it is It is quite beautiful. And how, you know, they how they film those, those fights alone. Mm-hmm. And then I think some That's of the, gorgeous. even some of the, the, the moments like when he when he first brings Vicky to the house mm-hmm. and like they go into the dining room and it's silent, but the camera's just off to the left, which gives you this real sense of unease. That's the whole well, point. The way they that, frame that, some of the shots are really feel, good. Nah, I felt more a directy choice than cinematography choice. It, uh, it, part of this is that everything was collaborative no, like scorsese's got his hand in everything it's always collaborative i know but but uh that it didn't have a very dis it's not like the opening shots of the boxing like there's nothing very overtly distinct about what's going on there that's fair and the sound took six months to put together i believe it because of all the fights and every single and the punch, punch flashbulb yeah everything but they had a bespoke sound everything okay. would sound individual yeah so they had um i believe it was gunshots for the flashbulbs okay. is how they got those sounds because they also wanted it heightened and yeah. intense yeah no that makes sense since they're filming from the point of view of a boxer as opposed to a spectator and they also had to deal with they filmed all the boxing in dolby stereo mm-hmm. they filmed the rest of the movie with regular audio okay so they had to figure out how to how balance to that mix so that together it wouldn't mm-hmm. sound off which is its own like mm-hmm. wow okay that's yeah. nuts well that's awesome now the reason this didn't do so well united artists decided they weren't going to distribute the movie how nice of them they produced it but then they said sure. okay we're not gonna put it out in theaters Great. So now Scorsese's got to figure out how to get it the fuck into movie theaters. But no Netflix back then. They also didn't promote it. And part of it was it took so long to put together in post-production. Because some of the editing stuff that happened, the original script, and maybe you would appreciate this more. The original script was done in cuts, cuts to flashback. So it was all going to be Jake doing his nightclub act and then flashing back over the course of the movie several times. Yeah. Instead, they decided one flashback at the one forward at the beginning and flashback through the story. See, garbage. Garbage. I like it. I think it's good. Fine. And then because of the content and the violence and the different Mm -hmm. stuff that went on, it It, wasn't. It was a hard R. It wasn't going to get a huge audience. No, that's fine. So the it's violent and it's a sports movie. It's not something you could take the wife to on date night. Well, and let's remember. Let's remember what came out in 1980. 
I don't know anything that came out in 1988. The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, fuck. Nothing has a shot. Like, amongst a bunch of other movies, Mm -hmm. this is getting buried under some huge blockbuster and giant type movies. Yeah. And, you know, it got almost no publicity. But the critics loved it. And rightfully so for the performances. No, I get all that. And the story itself. and This is definitely a movie that critics would eat up. Here's what I will say. I think this movie is a very pretty painting, and I don't know necessarily that it's great as a movie, but that's kind of why I love it. <laughs> uh, your benchmark is weird. Eh, well, you know, yeah. it is what it is. I, I just think this is a beautiful work of visual cinema mm-hmm. and at times just suffers because the story isn't necessarily complete. So I think yeah. that may be the problem with it. Some trivia. This became the initiation of De Niro and Pesci's friendship. Oh, nice. They lived together and trained together during the movie. And so they became really good friends while making it. And of course, the hit me scene. Hit me. I want you to hit me right in the face. All that was real punches. Yes. The last fight with Sugar Ray Robinson. Mm -hmm. Scorsese didn't know how he was going to organize the shots. Okay. He's like, I don't. This happens. Like, you're going to figure out how am I going to orchestrate this giant ballet sequence? He got the shot list from Psycho <laughs> and modeled it off of that. That's fine. Which led to the horror of the blood yeah. and all the just had it Had to cut back and forth. What Everything. Needed to be hit. Yeah, that makes sense. So that was... I can see that. That was how he figured that out. As the fights go on, they are fighting in larger and larger rings. Mm-hmm. And that visually was used... To show the desperation and the shrinking stature of Lamada as the fights went on, okay. As he got, I noticed they appeared bigger. I didn't know. I didn't know they were actually bigger. They so that's, were. That's cool. So as time goes on, he looks smaller and smaller yeah. because they fought in bigger and bigger. No, that makes sense. To get that's perspective. cool. During the the you fuck my wife fight mm-hmm. when he drags Vicky across the way to the house and mm-hmm. then she goes and beats up Joe Pesci. Mm-hmm. Pesci didn't know that was going to happen. <laughs> Scorsese didn't tell him. Oh, that's he just, kind of mean, but also at the same he's just, time. He's just like, I'm going to film you having, you're just going to be having lunch with your kids and your family. And then De Niro charges in mad as a bull. That's funny. Yeah. I kind of love that. Kathy Moriarty's hair mm-hmm. was set with corn syrup, Ugh. which was a problem during outdoor scenes because bees would try to fly into it. <laughs> god that's ridiculous yeah i love it (laughs) the home movie sequence in the middle of the movie showing passage of time scorsese and chapman both had problems because they kept filming things and then it kept looking too good because they they immediately want to frame the camera yeah right so they brought the teamsters over and had them shoot the footage that's funny and that way the camera looked shaky like a home movie yeah all right i really like the wedding i want a rooftop wedding that rooftop wedding yeah. Was directed by Charles Scorsese. Aww. Martin was sick during Aww. that shoot. And so he basically said, hey, dad, dad go take care of it. You go do it. <laughs> go babysit the staff. That's go. pretty good. <laughs> that's great. I was I like, oh, Charles just got to do that. That's fun. Yeah, that's fun. I All like right, that. everybody now party. And we're going to have some cake over here. Um, I want an Italian rooftop wedding. The legendary film critic Pauline Kael savaged this movie when it came out. Oh my goodness. De Niro kept that review mm-hmm. with his handwritten notes on it. He kept it as his own little personal motivation with notes like, so, and that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like for De Niro. A little bit. And finally, the TV footage that we see in the last fight with Sugar Ray Robinson mm-hmm. is the actual TV footage from the fight. So we're oh. cutting back and forth seeing the, the film sequence, but the what Joey's watching on TV is the oh, actual okay. footage of that. Oh, okay. Okay. The awards. Yeah, I got some. This was kind of a controversial moment, because there's another movie that came out in 1980 that I'm reserving judgment on, but I still feel may have robbed this. Okay. And this is the year Ordinary People won Best Picture oh, okay. and Best Director. Yeah. Now, first of all, this was the day after the John Hinckley assassination attempt. That this movie came out? That the Oscars occurred. Oh, okay. So Martin Scorsese had 
extra security. He had a full sure. on security detail that night because nobody knew if he was going to, if somebody might come after him. Yeah. Because they'd come after the president in the name and, of Jody Foster. And Jody, who he's connected to directly. Exactly. But yeah. No, that's fair. So he actually left before Best Picture was announced because the security said, all right, we have to go. Oh, the actual. The nominations? No. The, the actual awards. The actual awards. Okay, this sorry. is the day before the actual okay. Oscars for 1980. <laughs> That's nuts. Yeah. He wasn't there when Ordinary People won. It won two awards. Okay. Robert De Niro for Best Actor. Mm -hmm. And that year, he was up against John Hurt in The Elephant Man, uh, Robert Duvall in The Great Santini, and then two really great actors, Peter O'Toole and Jack Lemmon in movies as well. Ah, oh, Jack Lemmon. But... De Niro. Yeah, De Niro. Which movie was Jack Lemmon up for? John Hurt's the only other person who yeah. might have won that award yeah. that year. It's toss up, but I know. And then it won for best editing. I know. I knew, <laughs> I, I knew that. That was the first thing. Because I knew this was on the Oscar radar, but I can't remember. I was like, oh, yeah, it won for editing. That's great. What was it up against? It was up against Coal Miner's Daughter, Fame, The Competition, and The Elephant Man. Yeah, I've seen Fame. I've seen bits of Coal Miner's Daughter, so I mean, whatever. This is garbage, but whatever. No, this is the whatever. film editing, and it's amazing. It's garbage. And it's incredibly done. It's garbage, and oh, I don't like it. The it's editing, bad. The editing of those fight sequences is almost perfect. The fight sequence is fine. Fine. That one at the, the Academy Award? Okay, fine. But overall, as a movie, it's garbage. Because okay? uh, the story's garbage. I don't agree with you, but yeah. that's okay. We don't that agree is our on life. everything. It's what we do all the time is argue. Nominations. Joe Pesci was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Cool. He lost to Timothy Hutton from Ordinary People. Okay. Kathy Moriarty was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Cool. She lost that year to Mary Steenburgen. Ooh. And Melvin and Howard. I don't know. It lost, of course, Best Picture to Ordinary People. Okay. And uh, the movies that year were good. Coal Miner's Daughter, mm -hmm. Ordinary People, Tess, and The Elephant Man. It's not a bad slate. Tess is a Roman Polanski movie, so... It lost cinematography to Tess. It lost Best Director to Robert Redford. Because this Ordinary People was Robert Redford's directorial debut. And then Roman oh. Polanski was up for Tess and... David Lynch for The Elephant Man. I forgot David Lynch did The Elephant Man. He did. Mel Brooks handpicked him oh. after seeing Eraserhead. But you know what? This is just a part of a long-standing thing where Martin Scorsese is close, but no cigar. Yeah. And also, the Academy has never gone for passion projects. No. They really haven't. No, they rarely do. Because I think too often they see that it's too personal well, and they don't... It's, it's the whole thing that the director is too, or that performer, whoever it is, is just too close to it. And that muddies it. And and also, it becomes, a, things become about the story about the movie, not the movie itself. We, we do get caught up in those things. Yeah, and I think the other, there's always this other factor. And I, I always forget this. is like, I think Ordinary People was kind of a box office hit. Like... I, it's, it's there's it's, there's a popularity a, it's contest a factor there. i mean okay we're recording this on you know august 15th and the oscars just announced that they're going to add a popular movies category which is so stupid it's stupid but i do understand the reasons why the studios want that it is kind of insane that the movie that everybody who has access to a movie theater saw gets no love from the academy except what if it's total horseshit no no i get that but i understand that okay if you look at black panther black panther has surpassed a billion dollars right how likely is it that it's going to be recognized in anything other than special effects and costumes show me the rest of the movies this year and i'll tell you no exactly no but that's what i mean yeah i get it that is their argument the films that make the most money are not being recognized doesn't mean they're not on the same level artistically but that's that's where the pro that's where their problem is. Like we make the most money, but we get no awards. Well, to me, it's though like screw you. You're making billions of dollars. I don't care. Well, here's the other thing: is your aim is different. Exactly. There are movies that you see. That's the Oscar bait movie. This movie, Avengers, is not an Oscar bait movie unless you're going for special effects. Exactly. But they and and I I told you this when this came. I was like, they just need to add some categories that do cater to some of those films like 
motion capture performance. Good lord. That would be amazing. That would be awesome. And then, you know, vocal performance for all the films where it's all animated. You can nominate the actors who did the voice work in that. Also, Mm -hmm. just make a movie like Get Out. Uh, Well, yeah. Which does both. Yes. But you know what I mean. No, I get it. Also, stunt choreography. Or oh. fight choreography. Absolutely. And stunt performances, those should be recognized, recognized. Recognize the actual, you know, real working people in cinema. That's but, part of the art. But seriously, mm-hmm. stop trying to make yourselves more money. We already give you enough. Like, it's insulting to the moviegoer because all it is is like, well, we need more people to go see these movies. And if we get it awards acclaimed, then more more people will think, oh, well, I have to go see this. And it's like, guys, stop insulting my intelligence. I am not more likely to see a film because somebody in it or connected to it has won an Oscar. But there are so many people who do. Absolutely. I mean, we we do a whole bit about Oscars for this podcast, but it's after the fact, not beforehand. Yeah, well, and I'm not I'm not going to go see Hillary Swank because Hillary Swank has two performance nominations. I'm going to go see her cuz the movie she's in looks good or interesting. I don't give a shit about her. Yeah, for me it's just make a good movie. Make a movie that is both, you know, a, a yeah. popcorn thriller and yeah. visually stunning and different. Yeah. Make I, a Silence of the Lambs yeah. and yeah, you're fine to get into the Academy Awards. Well, like okay, Jordan Peele has an Oscar for writing. Exactly. I loved Get Out. If he had not won, I would still see his next movie because I love the one he did before. Of course. Like There's... Kevin Smith, no Oscars. But you know what? I'm going to see his movies because I like his movies. Yeah. I don't need the Academy yeah, to tell the... me that. And it's so dumb that yeah. we've decided that we need to do it. Well, it's a game. It is 100% a game. It's a game that we fully buy into because it's fun and we like to predict shit. But yeah. Sorry, long Oscar tangent. It was inevitable. <laughs> the last one we will mention is that it did lose for sound. That's a little disappointing. To the Empire Strikes Back. That's less disappointing. <laughs> For all the faults in Star Wars, of which there are many, that ain't one of them. Including the visual effects for that movie. Man, going back and watching those Hoss scenes I in like, Blu-ray. F- but like Blu-ray 4K when you're seeing, yeah, oh Blu-ray, god. It's- <laughs> Blu-ray's not friendly to those movies. But you're like, oh shit, this was all claymation type. Oh no. I love This the doesn't look bad. It's so great. I know. Okay. How many ice buckets do you give this movie? Ice buckets. We'll go right down the middle and say 2.5. Really? Yeah. I mean, I do like the cinematography. I do like the fight scenes. I like Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci. But I have a problem with the writing and the editing. I feel like you have a really cool movie here, but like, let's re-edit it and make it better. Like, let's tighten it up, clean it up a bit, and almost get rid of all the old, uh, old Jack stuff. Jack Jake. I can't. I can't. He know calls his... him. He calls him Jack too. So I don't know what his fucking name is. I think you're Lamada. You're fine. Old Lamada. <laughs> Get rid of Fat Lamada, and I don't care. Oh no, the jail scene is so good. It's so fucking good from De Niro. You know, but you know what? You could end it on "You never got me down." You could end on like you like you, you never won, got me down, right? But you never got me down, right? No, that could that you could have ended it after that with just him. Um, recovering from that fight because that was the most important thing he may have lost but he didn't get down also can i can i give the shout out to the scene where he throws the fight and the locker room when he's crying that is a great scene it's so that's painful. what one de niro this it's the, so that's good. what one is great no what i also love about that scene is everybody's reaction to it because they start breaking down about oh it. yeah yeah even the trainer who's pissed at him yeah finally can't he's can't hold like, it back he, i mean they don't understand why he did it they get it but that's the pride Oh yeah, and I ruined my record for the like. It's yeah, it's just horrible. Like we get it. I'm the boss. I'm the boss. I'm the boss. I'm the boss. Oh, that end scene, just as he's running around the room, and you're like, oh god, yeah. it's so, it's it's tragic mm-hmm. in a wonderful way. Mm-hmm. This is a solid four for me. Wow. Okay, we haven't been that separate in a while. Based on some of the things you've told me and understanding that, I really wanted to go four point five. This is not four point five on your best day. But yeah, I'm gonna go four no. because still wrong, but okay. It's so beautiful. Hmm. It really is beautiful. It, it, it is a beautiful movie. Like, I'm, I I won't argue that. It would be interesting, and I'm not going to say you ever have to do this, but it'd be interesting, now that you have knowledge of it, to just watch it as sort of a visual piece. Yeah. It'll, okay. But I, I, I'm just saying in that once you have the expectation of it, 
than if you just watch it as sort of this experience mm-hmm. and take away the story stuff of it to see whether that brought a different aspect to the story. What'll be interesting is because I've never seen Rocky and eventually we'll watch that is what I think of Rocky yeah. compared to this. I think it's Rocky apples- won Best Picture. In 76, yeah. yeah. I think it's apples and oranges. Maybe, I do. but it's still that whole boxing thing. Yeah, I just, I think it's... No, it'll be really interesting is if we do get to the later Rockies, how Rocky responded to this film visually. How no. how this might have influenced. That will, that'll be interesting if we get there. Maybe. Eh. This changed how boxing was portrayed in movies. I would still say that this is heads and tails artistically above any other sports movie ever made. Uh, I don't know. We still have several sports movies to go through. Mm, this is still well above. Okay. It is better than The Cutting Edge. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say that. It's better than Big Visually. Fan. And it's better than Slapshot. Oh, I, the, Slapshot is the worst movie we've watched ever. <laughs> I gave it no stars. You gave it half a star. Oh, yeah. No, I it, know. It finally dethroned Robocop. Robocop. is our worst it's movie. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. Um. This is not a movie I would watch like constantly, but it is a movie I would return to again. That's fair. And, it and does have a wonder it has some wonderful performances and I understand that. And for me the the artistry of filmmaking and the craft that Scorsese puts into it mm-hmm. for me overshadows any problems with the story and script. Though I do recognize some legitimate issues of understanding what's going on. But I I kind of get over it and just get absorbed by what he's doing with the camera. Hmm. And so for me, it just kind of sucks me in and mesmerizes me. I still think it's the best sports movie. And I, I, no, I still the think the best it... sports movie is a league of their own. Yeah, no, it's not better <gasps> than this. You are so wrong. Well, let's see if next week's movie might be able to dethrone this. Although um, we're going to need a little help for this one. So next week, we're going to watch the damned United, which is about football also known as soccer and we We don't know anything about that yeah so we're gonna have a guest but you'll have to come back next time to find out who our guest is all right until next time bye guys Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.